One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. We must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Tuesday, January 10th, 2023, the 720th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'm your moderator.substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month. And in doing so, you will be supporting me, the work I do, and this show as it expands. And if you can't or you simply don't want to, continue listening to the podcast on a wide range of podcast platforms, including, of course, Rumble. All I ask is that you share it with your friends. You can find the podcast, the writing, the social media, and the merch site by visiting linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. So I'm a little bit sorry about the inconsistency of the show schedule for the last couple of weeks, but obviously we've been covering so much of what's going on in Congress live on Badlands Media. John and I, CanCon, Patrick Gunnels have been on doing that. Just Human joined us Friday evening for discussion of the speaker race, and uh, we're trying to devote some time and some focus to that because we think it's important. We think it's Uh, a benefit to the country if the people begin watching what actually takes place in the government and how the government runs. And it's kind of a bit of a clown show. Uh, John and Patrick were remarking yesterday that it's a lot of kabuki theater. And of course, it is that. And the question is, how do we make it something other than that? How does Congress get restored to being a deliberative body that actually passes legislation to improve the lives of American citizens who this government is supposed to work for. The government is not supposed to be this separate overriding entity that is convincing the citizens to go along with some big plan, but that's what it's become. And of course, The big plan is not for the benefit of American citizens either. The big plan is to usher America into becoming part of a global regime. 
The plan is very clear. It's not a conspiracy theory. It's a system. You can see how the system works. They tell you what the system is designed to do. They tell you about the moving parts of that system, and you can watch the system produce the results intended. It is not a conspiracy theory. They are moving us into a global government as they are in many other places around the world. And they are often able to do this with no oversight from the American people. We cannot expect these people to run serious oversight over themselves while they serve the regime. Hopefully at some point, this institution will be restored to the point where it actually does do serious oversight on itself and on various parts of the federal government, the federal bureaucracy, the agencies that make up the deep state. And so yesterday they had debate and then a vote over the rules package. And throughout the time allotted to the Democrats for debate on the rules package, they proposed that something shady and underhanded was going on. There was this secret three page addendum that they are still unable to produce now after the second day of discussion about it. They have tried to call the upcoming House Select Subcommittee on the Weaponization of the U.S. Government Against the American People, the Tinfoil Hat Committee. It's all conspiracy theory. It's all QAnon. It's all trying to get revenge. They are very focused on telling the American public that the new Congress's agenda is going to be a MAGA extremist agenda. They're just trying to protect Donald Trump. They're only going to be offering things approved of by the most extreme members of Congress who now they say have all the power. Well, it's interesting because the Republicans spoke today in the congressional press conference they attended about how while the speaker's office has been considerably weakened in terms of the power that the speaker has amassed in that one position and the top down control the speaker can then exert over the House of Representatives, that power has been reduced away from the levels set by Nancy Pelosi, who wanted to consolidate all the power of the House at the top, as communists are prone to do. But the speaker's office and the speaker's role in terms of the government as a whole has actually gained in strength because now there is a hard and fast negotiating position for the Republicans in the House. Nothing gets done without the say of the Republicans in the House and nothing gets the say of Republicans in the House without that America first contingent and their allies who supported Kevin McCarthy last week. Not to rehash the long episode I put out Sunday evening, but I think that the most obvious and compelling way to see what happened last week is a sweeping victory for Donald Trump, for America first and for the American people. He controlled essentially both sides of that debate. He allowed the debate he wanted to have play out in public and was able to achieve all of the important priorities for how the House would function in this 118th Congress through negotiations. And eventually, Trump decided we have achieved enough. This is a great win for us. Take the win. It was a good win. Let's stop this process in the 15th round. Trump made the call. It was Trump's call. The picture of Marjorie Taylor Greene showed that to the American public. And no one has any doubt about how that process was ended. So what we've seen in these first two days of debate are the Democrats adamantly defending abortion for some reason. This is just one of the things that they go to whenever they don't want something to pass. They just say it's going to harm a woman's right to choose because the people on cable news and the communists and the podcast and media world blew in on all of them. They get to run with that, even when it makes no sense, because they know it gets people riled up and it makes them really mad. It makes them think that Republicans are coming after them in some way for their rights. But abortion's not a right. 
And with the Dobbs decision, abortion is also not a federal issue. Lindsey Graham made the mistake of trying to make it a federal issue again by talking about a nationwide abortion ban. But Dobbs returned that issue to the states. It's a state issue. Pramila Jayapal and I believe Sheila Jackson Lee both said in their arguments that they were each representative of the one out of four American women, according to them, who get an abortion. They were bragging about their abortions in order to argue against a congressional rules package. And then they debated defunding the $80 billion set aside last year as part of the Inflation Reduction Act, which, by the way, started as a bill to name a commemorative coin, and then they just piled everything else on it. The inflation reduction parts of it, which do not reduce inflation, the IRS agent funding, the $80 billion, the 87,000 agents. And so what started as a commemorative coin bill turned into something called the Inflation Reduction Act that once passed, the Democrats sold as the most significant piece of climate legislation ever passed by the House. So that is how much of a shit show the Congress is and was particularly under Nancy Pelosi. But they spent an hour in debate defending the IRS and the spending. They said the IRS wasn't working properly and collecting enough money from the American people. In fact, with these agents that Republicans are trying to cut, they estimated they would bring in an extra $114 billion a year, while also noting that there was something like $547 billion a year that went uncollected. So with $80 billion and 87,000 more agents, more than doubling the size of the IRS, they still wouldn't be able to find all the uncollected money. They said it was about going after millionaires and billionaires. The richest 1% sounded like Bernie Sanders had taken over all their bodies. They were all possessed by the ancient communist demon in mittens, except there just really aren't that many billionaires. I think there's something like 600 billionaires. You need 87,000 agents to work on that. And of course not. So how many millionaires are there? Well, far more, obviously. Do none of them pay taxes? Do we need the 87,000 agents all targeting all of them? And we know that's not going to happen. They want to go after their political opponents. And very few things could be more obvious than that. So they defended abortion. They defended the IRS. And then today, the two bills that were up for debate, the first one was setting up a committee on our competition with the Chinese Communist Party. And the other was to set up the House Select Subcommittee investigating the weaponization of the U.S. government against the American people. And the Democrats argued against both of those as well. So a lot of it is for show, but it's also important that people see the show and understand what these people are actually doing. What does the Democrat Party represent? None of what the Republicans are proposing is out of line in any way. China is our greatest adversary. The Chinese Communist Party is evil, as all communist parties are, including the Democrat Communist Party in our country, who's defending the Chinese Communist Party against any potential investigations. Why are they protecting the Chinese Communist Party, who has millions of Muslim Uyghurs in concentration camps, who steals American intellectual property, who infiltrates our country, our universities, our, our research community, our public health community, who controls in some way our entertainment industry, who has personal spying technology on the cell phones of millions and millions of Americans, and who has obviously paid off, corrupted, and compromised key parts of our federal government, including, of course, the fake president, Joe Biden, who is absolutely fully compromised by the Chinese Communist Party. They argued against the House Select Committee to investigate the weaponization of the U.S. government against the American people on the basis that what it really was is not the thing that they're actually going to do. They're not going to be investigating the government's 
coordination with big tech to censor Americans, for instance. They're not going to investigate the FBI targeting parents at school board meetings as domestic terrorists. The real reason they're setting up this subcommittee is to interfere with investigations that are already ongoing. And of course, they're talking about all the investigations set up during the last Congress to target their political opponents. So investigations against their political opponents, that's what they're worried about defending and preserving. That is what they think Republicans are going after. That's how they're portraying this to the American public. They're not actually going to be pursuing the weaponization of the government against the American people, which is absolutely a real thing and probably one of the greatest political crimes in American history. It is ongoing, an absolute violation of the rights of each and every American citizen. That's not it. They're just trying to defend Donald Trump and themselves against totally legitimate investigations the Democrats set up, like the January 6th committee, for instance. So they passed the new rules package and they passed the legislation defunding that IRS spending. These are two great wins on the first day. And let's just touch on the rules package a little bit. This is from the Washington Examiner yesterday. And let's start a few paragraphs down. The Washington Examiner used to be seen, by the way, as a conservative outlet. And now it is just pure regime nonsense that is written in a sort of way that it could still appeal to normie Republicans, the sorts of people who would be swayed by Lincoln Project ads, let's say. Rules Committee ranking member Jim McGovern from Massachusetts called the package, quote, a ransom note to America from the far right, end quote, criticizing the addendum and highlighting that the first 12 bills and resolutions the new Congress will consider do not address inflation and that two of them are anti-abortion. Many of the Democratic members speaking against the rules in debate base their objections on the anti-abortion priorities. Again, Washington Examiner is accepting the Democrats framework of what this package actually is and that this three page addendum that no one has produced is real and is somehow a problem. The only reason it's even being taken seriously is because some California Republican named Ken Calvert, who I don't know much about, to be honest, reportedly told Axios that there was such an addendum. That is what they are relying on. And another interesting note is that throughout this time, during the floor debates, people on the Democrat side were entering into the record articles from The Hill and from CNN. So anything that gets printed by the fake news media is considered fact once it reaches the floor of Congress. They enter these articles into the congressional record as if the articles are representing some sort of objective truth. And we discussed this last week when talking about Cash Patel's deposition with the January 6th committee. Instead of an omnibus bill, all 12 appropriations bills will be considered and passed separately. Good. Two new committees will be created, one to investigate China and the other to investigate the weaponization. And Washington Examiner put that in quotes, weaponization, because they would never sign on to that characterization of what happened of federal agencies under the Biden administration. Lawmakers will also have 72 hours to review bills before voting on them. And the Capitol will also be fully reopened to the public. Those are all standard, normal things. These are not things that should be freaked out about. The truth is the Democrats want all of these things packaged so that when they go up and debate and try to defend, they can have an out on what they're voting for. Oh, I didn't vote for it because I wanted to protect 87,000 IRS agents. I voted for it because part of it is anti-abortion. Those are the kind of arguments they'll be making. And I understand that those two issues are not tied in the IRS legislation. Okay, just to be clear. They don't want to have to debate each and every issue in front of the American people because it provides them no cover. They actually have to come down on each one of these issues so that their position is known. 
The lowering of the threshold to the motion to vacate the chair means that any member can demand a vote of no confidence in the speaker who would need a majority of votes to stay in office. It returns to the standard from before the tenure of former House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, who did away with it in 2019. And the Democrats are freaking out about that. They don't want the power of the speakership stripped away, even though Nancy Pelosi started it just a few years ago. Another returning provision is the Holman rule, which gives congressional appropriators authority to reduce the salary of or fire specific federal employees. That is wonderful. They think it's terrible. Why? Because they want to protect the administrative state and the deep state within the federal bureaucracy. A three-page non-public addendum to the rules package houses other aspects of the agreement McCarthy cut with hardline members of the party, with Democrats decrying them as backroom deals. Republicans assured Democrats during the debate that there was no addendum and that the only change to the package since it was released two weeks ago is lowering the threshold for the motion to vacate from five members to a single member. But again, they haven't produced the addendum and the motion to vacate was no secret that played out in front of the American public last week. Now, I do want to touch on an interesting element from today regarding the issue of the committee to investigate our competition with China. All the Republican members, of course, spoke in favor of the committee being set up, and even some Democrats did. And the thing about China is that like everywhere else, I talk about good twin, evil twin, factions, sovereign nationalists versus global communists. And we have that in China as well. The Chinese Communist Party is a certain thing. The people of China are an entirely different thing. The people of China long to live in a free country without the CCP. But when you're able to make two things seem like one thing, you can actually obfuscate your intentions when you propose investigations. Democrats certainly can't all come out in lockstep defending the CCP. So some of them say we want to have this investigation because we want to know what's going on in China. What is Xi's actual position with the CCP? Certainly he is the leader in command of China and the Chinese Communist Party. But is Xi himself working for the benefit of the Chinese people or of the Chinese Communist Party? All the stories in the past, of course, have made Xi out to be the most evil guy in the world, and he may well be. This process is evolving, and we will learn more. But we should at least keep an open mind that the media, in their first, their cover-up of everything China did, protecting everything in China, particularly the medical research, the biomedical research being done there in coordination with the CCP, and more recently, their takedown attempts on Xi make it seem like she isn't exactly the guy that we would believe he is based on his history with the Chinese Communist Party and the history of the Chinese Communist Party. Could it be something else? Is she part of the global regime? Is he committed to that project still? Or has he moved away from the global regime? There's many indications that he has after the Afghanistan withdrawal, that failure by the fake president. George Soros himself tweeted out that Xi Jinping is now the most dangerous person in the world. So it doesn't sound like they're particularly aligned on things. So some Democrats want this investigation of the CCP. Some do not. Some are voting against it. All Republicans want this investigation. But even within that, there are factions. Some of them pretend to be worried about the CCP helping out Russia. Well, what does that mean? Is it the CCP doing that? And what is Russia's role? We've been lied to about Russia's role when it comes to Ukraine, including by many Republicans. And we're also not being told the full story by those very same people about the relationship between Russia and China and the other BRICS countries. So it is actually important to watch these people carefully to gauge whether or not what they are saying and doing is for the benefit of the American people 
or for the benefit of the global regime. And there can be factions within each of these parties, even when all of them want to investigate what is seemingly the same thing. And so this stuff is a little hard to parse, especially at first. But as time goes on and we learn more and we get to observe more about what they're saying and doing, it starts to become clear who's on which side. Overall, it seems like a fairly successful first two days of the 118th Congress and Kevin McCarthy's speakership. We'll see how it goes. But here is another very, very good thing. This is from the Daily Caller today. Representatives Adam Schiff, Eric Swalwell, and Ilhan Omar to officially be kicked off intelligence and foreign affairs committees. Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy confirmed Monday night that Democratic reps Adam Schiff and Eric Swalwell will be removed from the House Intelligence Committee, and the House will vote on the removal of Minnesota Rep Ilhan Omar from the Foreign Affairs Committee. In February, McCarthy told the Daily Caller that if he is elected Speaker, that he intends to strip Omar from the Foreign Affairs Committee and Swalwell and Schiff from the Intelligence Committee. On Monday, McCarthy confirmed to the Associated Press that he would be moving forward with that decision, saying both Swalwell and Schiff should not have seats on the committee. And of course, that's correct because both of them are national security risks. They are both fully compromised. McCarthy has said Swalwell's reported relationship with the Chinese spy and Schiff's defense of the Steele dossier are some of the reasons they should be removed from the committee. McCarthy has said Omar's anti-Semitism is a reason she should be removed from foreign affairs. Swalwell can't get a security clearance in the private sector. I'm not going to give him a government security clearance. Schiff has lied to the American public, McCarthy told the Associated Press. In 2021, Democrats stripped Republican Georgia Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene of her committee assignments. And the Daily Caller notes that it reached out to Schiff and Swalwell and Omar, and they did not respond. This is absolutely a positive. They treated Marjorie Taylor Greene terribly. There is no doubt about it. But this move isn't just about revenge for that. This move is firmly grounded in principle. These people are corrupt, compromised criminals. Marjorie Taylor Greene wasn't that. Marjorie Taylor Greene was accused of helping Donald Trump incite an insurrection. And no one even believes the insurrection narrative anymore, except for the most dyed-in-the-wool, child-brained communists. And even if the insurrection narrative was true, there is nothing that Marjorie Taylor Greene did to incite the insurrection, and she didn't do anything illegal. Eric Swalwell had an affair with a Chinese spy. Adam Schiff spent years going out to the public and lying about what new information he had gained in the intelligence committee without revealing any particular intelligence. But I can just reassure you that Donald Trump absolutely colluded with the Russians. Of course, that's just not true. And now we're seeing headlines about how a review of Twitter's internal documents and their communications proved that there was no proof whatsoever that Russia had bot armies influencing the election. That entire story also was bogus. Now, speaking of Twitter, there was a release of Twitter files yesterday by Alex Berenson, who many people think is kind of on the cutting edge of revealing COVID truth to the American public. And I've argued many times that he is anything but that. Now, again, I always say with these media figures, if they're part of some controlled information operation and they're just playing their role, fine. Maybe I'll owe them an apology in the future and I will be happy to give it to them and say, hey, Patriot, nice job. Sorry, I was wrong. I didn't see through that little trick and I just went with what I could tell, which is, what you do and say and how you act in public. And I was going off of that. So considering what Alex Berenson has done and said in public, he is a former New York Times writer who was consistently days or weeks or months and sometimes years behind particular COVID narratives. 
the best work was being done in the truth community and elsewhere, not in people who are part of regime media like Alex Berenson. He was desperate to stay part of regime media, and he made it clear that he was worried about losing his Twitter even before he lost it. He was operating in a way that allowed him to stay safe on Twitter. That's what it looks like from the outside. When he finally got banned, he crowdfunded so that he could pay for his legal fees in order to sue Twitter. He told the people contributing to his crowdfunding that he would take the case to discovery and share with the people what he's learned. Instead, he took a financial settlement and got his account on Twitter back and did not, as far as I know, I haven't heard anything about this and I would be awfully surprised if it happened. But as far as I know, he did not return any of that money. So Alex Berenson took money from the people, got paid, got his Twitter account back and hasn't shared any of that with the public. He did not reach discovery. But, oh, now he has something so much better that's going to make up for all of it. And that's the Twitter files. Except Alex Berenson is taking a bit of a different approach to the Twitter files rather than presenting them as a long Twitter thread. Alex Berenson decided to make a four post thread and then direct people to his own Substack, and then later bragged about how it had been viewed 11.2 million times. And hey, that's great. I hope the maximum number of people see this information and actually incorporate it into their understanding of what's happening during these times. But why are the Twitter files now an opportunity for all these regime journalists to increase their public profile? Honestly, what is going on here? But let's go through this quickly. It's not too long. So he presents part of it on Twitter. His initial tweet has now been viewed 19.9 million times. So that is very impressive. My first Twitter files report how Scott Gottlieb, a top Pfizer board member, used the same Twitter lobbyist as the White House to suppress debate on COVID vaccines, including from a fellow head of the U.S. FDA. In August 2021, Gottlieb told Todd O'Boyle, a senior manager in Twitter's public policy department, that a tweet from Dr. Brett Giroir claiming correctly that natural immunity was superior to vaccine immunity was corrosive and might go viral. Twitter put a misleading tag on the tweet, preventing it from being shared. Gottlieb then went after a tweet about COVID's low risk to kids from Justin Hart. And Justin Hart was on my show in 2020. Pfizer would soon win the okay for its mRNA shots for children. So keeping parents scared was crucial. In October 2022, Scott Gottlieb claimed on Twitter and CNBC that he was not trying to suppress debate on mRNA jabs. These files prove that Gottlieb, board member at a company that has made $70 billion on the shots, did just that. And so then he sends you over to his Substack, And here it is. On August 27th, 2021, Dr. Scott Gottlieb, a Pfizer director with over 550,000 Twitter followers, saw a tweet he didn't like, a tweet that might hurt sales of Pfizer's mRNA vaccines. The tweet explained correctly that natural immunity after COVID infection was superior to vaccine protection. It called on the White House to quote unquote, follow the science and exempt people with natural immunity from upcoming vaccine mandates. It came not from an anti-vaxxer like Robert F. Kennedy Jr., but from Dr. Brett Giroir a physician who had briefly followed Gottlieb as the head of the Food and Drug Administration. Further, the tweet actually encouraged people who did not have natural immunity to get vaccinated, no matter. Now, it would be nice if Alex Berenson would skip calling Robert F. Kennedy Jr. a quote-unquote anti-vaxxer, and he did use the scare quotes to say that he's presenting this in a semi-sarcastic way, but from Alex Berenson, you can't really trust that because Alex Berenson is an informational gatekeeper and very likely controlled opposition. He has absolutely been a gatekeeper of information. He tells everybody else who they shouldn't take seriously. I do not like it, as you've probably noticed, when anyone tells anyone else not to look at some information. 
If you ask me what I think about someone or some information, I'll tell you. And what I'll say is, hey, I don't really like that person. They creep me out for this reason or this reason or this reason, but read their stuff and decide for yourself. And I'll provide context about who that person is. I don't like Alex Berenson. I don't like Ben Shapiro, but I'm not telling you don't listen to these people. I'm saying here's the context in which I listen to these people. This is what I think from my experience listening to this person or reading this person's work, but I'm not going to tell you to ignore it. Don't ignore anything. If it seems like it's relevant to these issues and people are going to pay attention to it. Now you might not care about it. People bring stuff up all the time. When I talk about Hollywood or when I talk about professional sports, people respond. Why do you care about this? We shouldn't be talking about these things. These things aren't important. Well, yeah, they are important because they actually influence a big segment of our culture and how our culture is perceiving reality right now actually matters quite a bit. In fact, you could argue it's the whole thing. There are better ways that Alex Berenson could present this, particularly when it regards someone like Robert F. Kennedy Jr., who has done incredible work, particularly on his book, The Real Anthony Fauci. It's an absolutely crucial read to understand what the pharma industry and the public health community have been doing in league with our government and our defense apparatus over decades now. But let's move on. By suggesting some people might not need COVID vaccinations, the tweet could raise questions about the shots. Besides being former FDA commissioner, a CNBC contributor, and a prominent voice on COVID public policy, Gottlieb was a senior board member at Pfizer, which depended on mRNA jabs for almost half its $81 billion in sales in 2021. Pfizer paid Gottlieb $365,000 for his work that year. Gottlieb stepped in, emailing Todd O'Boyle, a top lobbyist in Twitter's Washington office, who was also Twitter's point of contact with the White House. The post was corrosive, Gottlieb wrote. He worried it would end up going viral and driving news coverage. And he's talking about Brett Giroir's post about natural immunity and how it was stronger than vaccine immunity. And again, it's worth noting that Giroir actually said, trust the science. And if you haven't had COVID, it's worth it to get vaccinated, which is false, right? That's false. It's still promoting the regime's agenda, just not as hard as you're supposed to. And it was hurting what Scott Gottlieb was attempting to do, which is eventually get vaccines pumped into little children so that his company could continue profiting. I found the email in a search of records I ran at Twitter last week. Part of Elon Musk's Twitter files effort to raise the veil on censorship decisions Twitter made before Musk bought the company in October. Through Jira, an internal system Twitter used for managing complaints, O'Boyle forwarded Gottlieb's email to the Twitter strategic response team. That group was responsible for handling concerns from the company's most important employees and users. Please see this report from the former FDA commissioner, O'Boyle wrote, failing to mention that Gottlieb was a Pfizer board member with a financial interest in pushing mRNA shots. A strategic response analyst quickly found the tweet did not violate any of the company's misinformation rules. Yet Twitter wound up flagging Jawa's tweet anyway, putting a misleading tag on it and preventing almost anyone from seeing it. It remains tagged, even though several large studies have confirmed the truth of Jawar's words. A week later, on September 3rd, 2021, Gottlieb tried to strike again, complaining to O'Boyle about a tweet from Justin Hart. Hart is a lockdown and COVID vaccine skeptic with more than 100,000 Twitter followers. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but a viral pathogen with a child mortality rate of roughly zero has cost our children nearly three years of schooling, Hart had written. Why Gottlieb objected to Hart's words is not clear, but the Pfizer shot would soon be approved for children 5 to 11, representing another massive market for Pfizer if parents could be convinced COVID was a real threat to their kids. O'Boyle referred to former FDA Commissioner Gottlieb when he forwarded the report, again ignoring Gottlieb's current work for Pfizer. This time, though, Gottlieb's complaint was so far afield that Twitter refused to act. 
At the same time, Gottlieb was also pressing Twitter to act against me, this being Alex Berenson. As I disclosed on Substack on October 13th, 2022, drawing on documents that Twitter's pre-Musk regime provided to me as part of my lawsuit against it. Gottlieb's action was part of a larger conspiracy that included the Biden White House and Andrew Slavitt working publicly and privately to pressure Twitter until it had no choice but to ban me. I will have more to say about my own case and will be suing the White House, Slavit, Gottlieb and Pfizer shortly. And he probably won't get to discovery in those either. He'll just take the settlement, be like, hey, I defeated the big monster. Nah, buddy, you got paid. The morning after I wrote that article, Gottlieb appeared on CNBC, the financial news channel where he is a contributor and offered what at best was a seriously misleading explanation of his actions and his motives. Gottlieb did not deny pressing Twitter on me. He could not, given the documents I had released the night before. But in an interview with Joe Kernan of CNBC, Gottlieb said he had asked Twitter to act only because he was concerned if tweets raised the threat of violence against vaccine advocates. The inability of these platforms to police direct threats, physical threats about people. That's my concern about what's going on in that ecosystem. Gottlieb said, I'm unconcerned about debate being made. Gottlieb told Kernan, I'm concerned about physical threats being made for people's safety. In a tweet that morning, Gottlieb doubled down, writing, respectful debate and dialogue is one thing and should be encouraged and protected, but there's no place for targeted harassment and misleading dialogue, which can instigate a small but persuadable group of people to make targeted and dangerous threats. But Brett Giroir's tweet about natural immunity was the definition of respectful debate and dialogue. And in his own email to Todd O'Boyle, Gottlieb did not raise any security concerns about it. He simply complained that it might wind up driving news coverage. So Gottlieb asked for this censorship because he was concerned that it was going to hurt his efforts in pushing for more vaccination with something that is not a vaccine, is not safe and is not effective. But to the public, he said he was concerned about people's physical safety. He was worried what might happen if all those conspiracy theorists out there somehow get the idea that people like Scott Gottlieb are not actually in the business of attempting to save people's lives or keep this country from collapsing. Gottlieb is not just a Pfizer board member. He is one of seven members of the board's executive committee and the head of its regulatory and compliance committee, which oversees compliance with laws, regulations, and internal procedures applicable to pharmaceutical sales and marketing activities. So he basically facilitates the abuse of all of these things. Pfizer has a long history of violating drug industry laws and ethics rules. In 2009, it agreed to pay $2.3 billion, the largest healthcare fraud settlement in American history, for fraudulently marketing several drugs. In 1996, it conducted a clinical trial of an antibiotic in Nigeria, in which 11 children died, and which became the inspiration for John le Carre's novel, The Constant Gardener. So how will Pfizer react to the black and white proof from Twitter's records that one of its most powerful board members secretly tried to suppress debate on the mRNA jabs that have been by far its best-selling product since 2020? And will CNBC continue to let Gottlieb use it to mislead the public? So that is Alex Berenson's work on Twitter files. That is basically just a pretty normal news article about information we have already known for a pretty long time. And yes, again, it is always good to get the black and white proof, the original documents that further prove what we were already saying and what we have already known. The only real important takeaway here from this work is that there was a concerted effort to obscure from the American public the favorable comparison for natural immunity as opposed to the vaccine. No person who has already had COVID should have ever taken a vaccine. First of all, no person should have ever taken a vaccine. Let's just be clear about that. But even the publicly accepted medical narrative for years was that people who had already had it shouldn't be taking these shots. They wanted to obscure that. They wanted to obscure the fact that children are not at any risk of dying from COVID-19. 
Both of those claims were censored, which should tell you both of those claims were true. Both of those claims were always true. And the people pushing and mandating and selling the vaccines knew that both of those narratives were damaging to their bottom line and more importantly, to the regime's agenda. Therefore, they were censored. That is what is meaningful out of this. Twitter's coordination with the government on censorship is not only blatantly obvious to anyone who's paying attention. It has been proven with black and white original documents foiled from various government agencies, both federal and at the state level for almost two years now. None of that is new at all. So Alex Berenson gets an A++ for promoting his Substack, and he gets a D for his Twitter files release. It's kind of a joke. I cannot stand Alex Berenson if that's not obvious. And hey, again, maybe I'll be wrong someday. Maybe he's a great guy and a loyal and faithful patriot. He just hasn't given any sign of that at all in the last three years. And he actually comes out strongly against things like ivermectin and like the claim that the 2020 election was stolen, as it obviously was to anyone who has checked. And Alex Berenson, of course, has not checked because Alex Berenson is maintaining his grip on membership in the party of false decorum. That is the most important thing to him and always has been. That is why he is a gatekeeper of information. That is why he calls other people conspiracy theorists, because they have certain positions on issues that he doesn't agree with, even though he hasn't checked for himself. So it should shock no one that in the past couple of days, there are two more interesting Twitter developments from other people. This is from Paul Sperry, who is a reporter for Real Clear Investigations. He has worked for plenty of mainstream outlets. He is among the better journalists who could be construed as on our side of things. And he has been censored. Adam Schiff, we got this last week. Adam Schiff requested that Twitter ban Paul Sperry for his reporting because Adam Schiff felt threatened. So this is Paul Sperry on Twitter from today. Unreported in Twitter files, censorship scandal is direct messaging, which is supposed to be private. Sensitive sources communicate privately with me and other journos through Twitter DMs, including FBI whistleblowers. Was James Baker monitoring DMs? Was he sharing them with the FBI, the Dems on the Hill? Now think about how dangerous that would be for an FBI whistleblower. An FBI whistleblower contacts a journalist like Paul Sperry through Twitter direct messages. Now you might argue someone in the FBI should potentially be a little more savvy about how to reach out to journalists. But regardless, assuming that Twitter's DMs are in some way private or secure the way Twitter kind of makes them out to be, maybe that's how whistleblowers contact journalists. So James Baker, former FBI, then deputy general counsel of Twitter, is potentially scanning Twitter's direct messages to locate FBI whistleblowers to Paul Sperry. And turning that over to the FBI, turning that over to Democrats on the Hill. Direct messaging is something I hope Elon Musk also investigates. The possible internal spying on targeted users, DMs, and Twitter gatekeepers abuse of otherwise private DM channel. And he goes on. James Baker has finally deleted his Twitter bio, listing him as Twitter's deputy general counsel and his LinkedIn. It's official. He's gone. But what smoking guns did he deep six before he was discovered vetting the Twitter files? He was under Hill preservation orders. The Twitter files and a wider effort to muzzle the media is a huge story and one highly relevant to the D.C. press corps, yet they haven't touched it. Instead, there's been press backlash against Taibbi and Musk. Taibbi, an old ACLU liberal, has received nothing but scorn, even death threats. So that's a pretty big deal. The monitoring of direct messages assumed to be private, including potentially even the monitoring of FBI whistleblowers and all of that potentially being turned over to the FBI or to regime politicians in the swamp. Now, let's go to Missouri's new attorney general, Andrew Bailey, 
who has taken over for Eric Schmidt. He released this little thread on January 6th. When I took office, I swore that I would protect the Constitution. Here's why. We now have hard evidence that President Biden's administration colluded with social media companies to censor differing viewpoints and silence, quote unquote, misinformation that was later deemed true. Here, a White House employee asks Twitter to silence Robert Kennedy Jr., a known critic of the White House's COVID-19 narrative. And here is the email from someone named Clark Humphrey to a Robert Flaherty and people at Twitter. Flagging. Hank Aaron misinfo. Hey, folks, wanted to flag the below tweet and I'm wondering if we can get moving on the process for having it removed ASAP. And then if we can keep an eye out for tweets that fall in this same genre, that would be great. Now, the claim was that Hank Aaron got the covid shot and died soon after that claim happens to be true. They went out and they found primarily black American professional athletes to sell the vaccine to black American citizens. Hank Aaron got the shot, died shortly after. Franco Harris just passed right before Christmas. Pittsburgh Steeler legend, the man who made the immaculate reception. He was out there advocating for the vaccine with another Steeler great, Mel Blunt. Franco Harris is now dead. Is it vaccine related? We don't know. Can't say for sure, but they certainly didn't list another cause. He was 72 in what seemed to be good health and died suddenly. But at the time Hank Aaron died, we were told that's not possible and you're not even allowed to suggest it. You are threatening the health of everyone. You are threatening to prolong the pandemic if you don't get vaccinated. How could you use this brave Black American sports hero as an example of a vaccine death. Are you trying to create vaccine hesitancy? Are you a vaccine denier? They just couldn't have that. So instead of proving that Hank Aaron had actually died of something else, they just tried to censor the conversation by Robert F. Kennedy Jr. It seems like they were really dead set on convincing black Americans to take this experimental gene therapy that is not safe and is not effective. Here, the Biden White House directs Facebook to shut down conservative voices, Tucker Carlson and Tommy Loren. The key email is from Rob Flaherty, who is the director of digital strategy at the White House. And he emails, among others, Andrew Slavitt. Since we've been on the phone, the top post about vaccines today is Tucker Carlson saying they don't work. Yesterday was Tommy Loren saying she won't take one. This is exactly why I want to know what quote unquote reduction actually looks like. If reduction means quote pumping our most vaccine hesitant audience with Tucker Carlson saying it doesn't work end quote, then I'm not sure it's reduction. So they're worried about people saying the vaccines don't work or that they won't take one. That messaging is too threatening to what they're attempting to do. So they want it outright censored. That is the illegitimate president's administration with the tech companies trying to censor Americans in direct violation of their First Amendment rights. That's not just a federal agency. That's the White House itself asking for the American people to be censored. Here is an example of big tech towing the line for Biden. This is an email from a redacted sender at Google to once again, Rob Flaherty. We appreciate your interest in our announcement today. With regards to your question on the tweet, it is important to keep in mind that borderline content accounts for a fraction of 1% of what is watched on YouTube in the United States. We use machine learning to reduce the recommendations of this type of content, including potentially harmful misinformation. You got that? Machine learning. Their algorithm decides what you're allowed to see, and they tone down all the stuff that is going to upset the regime's agenda. So they're already doing it. Their technology is totally prepared to censor people. 
or to at least make sure that no one sees that bad, bad content. In January 2019, we announced changes to our recommendation systems to limit the spread of this type of content, which resulted in a 70% drop in watch time on non-subscribed recommended content in the United States. And our goal is to have views of non-subscribed recommended borderline content below 0.5%. I will keep you updated with any new policy or product improvements that we make as we continue our work to help people find authoritative health information on YouTube. Oh, authoritative information derived from the authoritative source. You can never question the authoritative source. Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s organization, childrenshealthdefense.org, is regularly cited as an example of vaccine hesitancy or vaccine misinformation. The truth no longer matters to the White House, writes Attorney General Andrew Bailey. They, quote, really couldn't care less about products unless they're having measurable impact, end quote, on suppressing speech. He includes an email from Rob Flaherty at the White House to someone at Facebook. The subject line is a response, follow-up WA responses. Flaherty writes, thanks for this. Redacted name should be trying to land a time. We'll say I'm really mostly interested in what effects the interventions and products you've tested have had on increasing vaccine interest within hesitant communities and which ones have shown promise really couldn't care less about products unless they're having a measurable impact. So when he's talking about products and interventions here, he's talking about ways that they are able to manipulate the public conversation. He wants to know that there has been a measurable impact in terms of increasing vaccine interest. So this isn't about reducing misinformation or disinformation. They want these tools primed and directed toward increasing vaccine interest. They want to up the sales and the acceptance and the intake of this vaccine, which is not a vaccine. And while the product Safari has been interesting, at the end of the day, I care mostly about what actions and changes you're making to ensure you're not making our country's vaccine hesitancy problem worse. I definitely have what I believe to be a non-comprehensive list of products you're building, but I still don't have a good empirical answer on how effective you've been at reducing the spread of vaccine skeptical content and misinformation to vaccine fence sitters in the now folded lockdown. If redacted name can speak to those things, great. Another redacted name hasn't been able to, but I'm sure someone there can. In the electoral context, you tested and deployed an algorithmic shift that promoted quality news and information about the election. This was reported in the New York Times and also readily apparent to anyone with cursory social listening tools. You only did this, however, after an election that you helped increase skepticism and an insurrection, which was plotted in large part on your platform. And then you turned it back off. I want some assurances based in data that you are not doing the same thing again here. That is truly amazing. The White House is telling this private company what they must do. And he's basically admitting that the illegitimate regime was marching in lockstep with these social media companies, or I should maybe say that the other way around. They were doing exactly as they were told when it comes to election disinformation and what they wanted the narrative to be around the very violent insurrection. And then somehow it got turned off. Well, that, that itself is very interesting. This is the White House saying, after the stolen election, after the very violent insurrection, while we're already well into the vaccine period, after the lockdowns, after the masks, after the school closures, after all that, everything that had been suppressed on behalf of the regime by these tech companies, it's still not enough. It still is not enough. They need more and more censorship of the American people. Really incredible stuff. But let's keep going. Bailey writes. Here is evidence that this scheme starts, quote, at the highest 
and I mean highest levels of the White House. This is from Rob Flaherty to a bunch of redacted names at Google, also to Andrew Slavitt at the executive office of the president, as well as Clark Humphrey and Kelsey Fitzpatrick. The subject line is following up on today's conversation. All thanks again for the conversation today. We'll look out for the top trends that you've seen in terms of misinformation around the vaccine. To recap, as we move away from a supply problem toward a demand problem, we remain concerned that YouTube is quote unquote funneling people into hesitance and intensifying people's hesitancy. We certainly recognize that removing content that is unfavorable to the cause of increasing vaccine adoption is not a realistic or even good solution. But we want to be sure that you have a handle on vaccine hesitancy generally and are working toward making the problem better. This is a concern that is shared at the highest and I mean highest levels of the White House. So we'd like to continue a good faith dialogue about what is going on under the hood here. I'm on the hook for reporting out. So this paints the picture of Rob Flaherty being the go between between the highest and I mean highest levels of the illegitimate administration and the tech companies, all of the tech companies, not just Twitter, but Facebook and Google. Google, of course, owns YouTube. Facebook, of course, owns Instagram. And at the very highest levels of the fake administration, which could mean all the way up to the illegitimate president. But the thing is, he is mentally incapacitated and certainly not in charge of anything. So who are they talking about? One of his handlers? Is it someone on the Barack Hussein Obama side of the illegitimate administration? I guess we'll see. But this problem of suppressing the speech of American citizens in direct violation of their First Amendment constitutional rights, as well as their human rights, goes all the way up to the tippy, tippy top. Bailey finishes. These emails confirm what we've known all along. The Biden administration has been colluding with social media companies to stifle opposing voices. I will continue to push back against this blatant attack on the First Amendment with every tool at my disposal. So both of those, to me, seem far more important than the relatively minor advancement caused by Alex Berenson's reveal discussion about monitoring of direct messages when it comes to FBI whistleblowers is a massive new issue and direct evidence of the very top levels of the illegitimate administration being directly involved in the censorship regime is also a significant narrative advancement. And naturally, these dominoes will continue to fall. Now, I must apologize for not getting to the coverage of what's happening in Brazil as they have staged a parallel, a direct, absolute parallel to the very violent insurrection. We are seeing the regime's color revolution playbook as it plays out around the world at different times in different locations, as I've been discussing with you now. For two and a half years, maybe more. And then we also have the discovery of top level classified material being hidden by Joe Biden from when he was the vice president at his CCP funded think tank at the University of Pennsylvania. Those are both massive stories, and I promise that I will give them their proper time, very likely tomorrow. But until then, I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at imyourmoderator.substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. Comes out to under a quarter per episode and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. 
The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree. Linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. And I'll see you soon out on the range. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hot!